Hello, it's Amy and Emily, and we are here today to introduce this podcast episode where we are talking with Kim Ludeman of Captivatingly Confident all around, so you want to be more confident. And before we dive in with Kim, Emily and I are just going to have a little chat around what does confidence even mean to us and why are we talking about it on the Very Full Plate podcast today? So Emily, I'm glad that you're here. I'm very happy to be here. I love jumping on here and getting to chit-chat before our episodes. So this is a unique and also profound concept that I'm really looking forward to diving into. Yeah. What does it mean for you to be confident or maybe like show up confident in your life? I actually feel... I haven't had a lot of time to think on this, but I feel that knowing that you're not alone and knowing that we're all actually connected because sometimes I think confidence is attached to ego, like feeling like, Oh, I'm like, you know, there's a difference. Right. And there's confident that you can connect with people and that everyone's human and nobody's perfect. Mm. And that's like how I approach confidence is like, we all are equal and there's no one person that's better than the next necessarily. So I try to keep that in mind when I'm interacting with people that everyone's coming from a place of maybe a little bit of insecurity or not feeling like they fit in or maybe disconnected. Yeah. It it resonates with me what you're saying, which is what I hear. And you can tell me if this is right, is like that you come at confidence from a place of being like, no one is so much better than the other. And we are all struggling with maybe not the exact same things, but something. And so I can show up as me and you can show up as you. And here we are. Precisely. Like, okay. And I, and I think that so many people make assumptions that someone looks like they have it all together. Mm. So they come at a scenario with this insecurity where they either need to call out their insecurity, like, I'm sorry, I'm late, or I haven't been eating well, or, you know, constantly apologizing for who they are as if the other person has come at it. Like, why haven't you worked out before you come to see me? (laughs) Or something weird. And just making people feel connected and not alone, you know? Yeah, that's such an interesting one to me because I've been really working on not apologizing. And I think you and I have talked about this before where you're like apologizing for your kids before they've even done anything or like you're apologizing for yourself for like, oh, I didn't manage to do this one thing, but you have no idea what else is going on in my life kind of stuff. And it's like, I've really been working on not starting with sorry and instead being like, hey, thanks so much for your patience or... Um, I really appreciate you hanging on while I like take care of this important thing or whatever that looks like that isn't being sorry for living the life that you're living, right? Agreed. And as parents, I think that it's a really important role model for the kids. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. You know, it's interesting for me, I feel like I heard this definition of confidence. I don't even remember where, but it really resonated with me. And it was all around like, you know, where someone can make you feel bad about something and you realize that it's because you were already feeling bad about that. Like the people who can really like dig in on the thing that you're already feeling insecure about. For me, confidence is like, where can I find a place of feeling like I'm doing my best, whatever that might look like in the moment, so that no one can make me feel bad because I'm not already feeling bad about it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Or even just feeling super comfortable in your own skin. Like, yeah, I know that I'm not doing everything perfectly. I'm perfectly fine with it, you know? Yes, yes, exactly that, which is like, I don't wear the same size jeans I used to wear. And guess what? I am doing my best. I feel good. I'm showing up. I'm doing the work. And that's all I can do, right? And then 
no one can make you feel bad about it. And like, and of course, most of the time people aren't trying to make you feel bad, but I'm putting that in air quotes for those of you who can't see me doing it because it's like, I'm doing my best, I'm showing up. And I think that there's something really powerful around when you can cultivate that confidence in yourself and cultivate that comfort with your decisions and your actions in yourself, whatever those might look like, that you can give other people a lot more grace too. Precisely. I, um, whenever I feel not great about myself or like somebody's really digging into my, my world, I start to question like, wait a second, I'm allowing them to make me feel this way. Why am I allowing it? Why does it bother me? What's the real problem behind it? And maybe that's when you can kind of swing the pendulum to say, what, where are they coming from? You know, that's when you have to say this, maybe not about me. Like if they're saying something that hurts is hurtful or whatever, or, you know, that's when I'm always like, you know, they may have their own stuff they're dealing with. And maybe it's not about me and my, what I think they're thinking of me. Isn't that always true? It's like almost never about you. <laughs> that has been a big lesson. Exactly. Life. <laughs> uh, so before we spoil everything around confidence, and I don't know about you, Emily, but I'm certainly not an expert on this. So I'm really excited to speak with someone who is an expert, Kim Ludeman, who's going to talk to us a little bit more about what it means to show up confidently as a woman, as a parent, um, all of the different things on today's episode. And without further ado, let's go ahead and dive in with Kim. Hello and welcome to A Very Full Plate, the podcast where we're all about real food talk with real parents. Your hosts for today are Amy, a natural foods chef and mom of two, and Emily, a professional home organizer and mom of three. Take it away, ladies. Hi, friends. Thanks for joining us. I'm your co-host, Amy. I turn parents into kitchen ninjas to help them feed their families healthy food more often. I'm all about balance, real life, and having fun in the kitchen. You can find me at cookingwithafullplate.com and my Facebook page of the same name. Hey, guys. This is Emily. I'm a professional organizer who helps my clients simplify their lives so that they can experience harmony in their homes again. You can follow me on Facebook or Instagram or visit hallharmonyhomes.com. Come along with us while we celebrate our small victories and laugh at our challenges. And thank you so much for listening. I am just beyond thrilled to have Kim Ludeman here today to talk to us a little bit about So You Want to Be More Confident. And Kim, I just thank you for taking the time to be here. Oh my gosh. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. The pleasure is mine. So the group that we're in right now, this will go live as a podcast episode, but we also kind of special record it live here in my membership Facebook group. And it's made up of a whole bunch of awesome moms who are very like motivated. They have lots of things they do with work. They have lots of things they do with their kids. And they are all really committed by being part of this group to feeding their family better. So just for like Mm. some context of who we're talking to. And I know a lot of that applies to you. So I think we should go ahead and dive in and they can get to know you a little bit. And then we can talk about like, what does confidence even have to do with feeding your family well or being a great parent or any of those kinds of things? Sound good? Yeah. Sounds amazing. Let's do it. Okay. So like I said, Kim is a um, confidence coach. And I think the best place to start this conversation is just to ask you like, what does it mean to be a confidence coach and how does someone become one? Right? I know. It's like you say that as I introduce myself, it always, people stop. They're like, wait, you do what? Right. (laughs) And I'm like, no, it's a real thing. I promise. (laughs) So (laughs) I have been a personal trainer and nutrition coach for 10 years. And in the gym, 
I learned so much working with men and women who wanted to get healthy. They wanted to lose weight. They wanted to be physically stronger. They wanted to have more confidence in their physical abilities. And it was years of using scales and calories and manipulation of weights and foods to try to get people where they wanted to be. And while it was successful, it was also really frustrating Mm. for myself and for my clients because it felt like they would make a little bit of progress and then backslide and make progress and backslide. And it was like they were never getting where they really wanted to be. And it took me a while to figure out why that was. And so much of it is mindset. I'm going to argue that it's 99.9% mindset and nutrition and movement are like a fraction of the equation. How you think about it and approach it is so critical. And the confidence piece is your ability to approach that mindset and to kind of go through the process of understanding what confidence is and how it can be a part of your life so that then you can start making changes. And if you want to lose weight, you can do that. If you want to change your eating habits, if you want to move more, if you want to be healthier, you can totally do that successfully and long-term, but it has to be from a different place. Mm. That's so interesting that um, you're saying like you really have to start with the mindset piece of things before you can dig into the logistics of actually making it happen. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to talk more about what confidence even means, but before we get there, can you tell us a little bit about what your life looks like? Because you are a fellow mom. You've obviously focused a lot on this fitness and nutrition stuff. And I think our listeners will be interested to just kind of understand like what you guys have in common with each other. I know it's always so helpful for me to feel like, okay, this person is in at least some ways just like me. So it's not impossible for me to do the same, right? Oh, totally. That me too moment is... Oh, it's invaluable for sure. No, I am definitely just like every single mom out there. I have a four-year-old son named Lewis who is amazing and my everything. And I love him so. And I have a husband named Tim and we live in Portland, Oregon. And it is, you know, my kind of quick like nutshell story because it's a long one. But a really quick version of it is that I grew up an only child and having so much attention, I really was kind of put into a box by my parents and my family and also by teachers too. Uh, I got kind of labeled too much. Mm. And so it really was hard for me to be told that I was too much because as you can imagine, an only child is like, ah, you know, like I was vibrant and vivacious and very passionate, even as a kid. But being put into this box and being slapped with a label turned me toward food at a young age. I think my like sugar addiction started when I was six. It was so, looking back, I'm like, I was so little and I didn't have words to say I'm sad because I want to be this way, but you're telling me I need to be this way. Right, right. And so that like, that struggle, and for most women, it is you're not enough. And we learn that message real early. And it sets you up so bad. So that, like, it was a real addiction to sugar. I mean, it was, I used to put 
pop tarts in my dollhouse and hide candy and mm. I would sneak food all the time. And that it took me all the way until my early 20s, like mid to early 20s, until I learned how to start to process some of my feelings and understand what was actually happening because I didn't have any idea. Mm-hmm. I just knew that something was wrong. And so it took a long time <laughs> to figure out what that was. And now my passion is just been unleashed because I do. I've always had a heart for te- helping people change and achieve what they want to achieve and be where they want to be. And my heart is just to save women from this journey. And if I can help even one person shave a few years off of the process, Mm. like that's a win for me. Yes. I love this idea of helping people get there faster, wherever there might be, right? And I feel like that's some of what I do in helping people um, align with their vision for how they want to feed their family, like how to actually make it happen. And Mm -hmm. I just love your heart for helping people um, change from the inside so that they can get a lot of different places faster, right? Like there's no one specific definition or destination that every one person is working towards, right? Or even each of us individually working towards. So I want to step back because you said something earlier about like even understanding what confidence is. So why don't we go ahead and start there with just like a group understanding of like, what what does confidence mean to you when you are working with people on this subject? Yeah, that is such a great question. And it, it honestly varies person to person. Mm. Everyone kind of has a little bit of a different feeling about confidence. But what if kind of boiled it down to is basically a self-assurance that comes up from your like appreciation of your own abilities and qualities Mm. is kind of my technical definition of it. So basically your state of mind about who you are and what makes you you and taking pride in that, being alive in that. Yeah. letting people see you as you truly are and not worrying about what other people think. That's the biggest hang up that people get stuck on is like, well, what if they don't like me? Well, so what? They're not your people. Yeah. That's all right. Or like, what if they judge me? How do you know what's in their head? Are you a mind reader? Like you're not, you don't know. Like, and it doesn't even matter. Right. But that's, so hard to get over because we're conditioned so young to worry about what other people think. I heard something so important there, which is you said like a self-assurance in showing up as we are. And I think that that's really different from what a lot of people think about confidence as, which is this idea that I will be confident when I get there. And there could be like, when I look like the Instagram fitness models or when I, um, have all my stuff together as a mom or when I like stop forgetting appointments or, you know, whatever it might be. And I hear you saying that it actually has nothing to do with getting there. The there is like in doing the internal work to accept yourself where you're at. Am I on the right track there? You nailed it. You absolutely nailed it. Yeah, it is. And if for a lot of my community, it is weight is the biggest block. Mm -hmm. And there's so much oh, what is the word I'm looking for? There's just such a firm belief that once I lose X number of pounds, 
then I'll be confident. I can't be confident now, but I can once I get to this weight. And that is the biggest one that I see. But I mean, you can insert anything in there. Like you said, like once I get here, then I'll be confident. Yeah. I just have to get here first. Right. I know there's plenty of people and I suffer from this as well, where I'm like, once I make this in my business or I help this many people, then I will be like a real business person or whatever that might look like. Right. So I think you're absolutely right that it can apply to so many things, right? Like it, it isn't exclusive to appearance, but I do think it shows up for a lot of us, especially women and maybe especially moms who have gone through a lot of physical changes as part of the process of becoming moms. Um, it can show up that way too. So I think the, the most important point for our community would be to talk today about like, what are some of the steps that we can take to start feeling that self-assurance in where we are now, instead of focusing on the where we need to be to feel better about ourselves? Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of this is practicing awareness and that's where it starts. And the biggest thing is being aware of your own limiting beliefs that come up for you. Mm. So this looks and sounds like shoulds. The shoulds is what I call them. It's a very technical yes, thing. Yes, I, I call them that too. So <laughs> we perfect. speak the same language. That's perfect. Yes. Okay. Yes. So the shoulds have been pre-programmed into you since you were a wee, wee little lass and you grew up believing certain things. And those limiting beliefs that you have keep you stuck always. But it's often easier to kind of numb those or distract those or to try to quiet the voice inside by using what have you, social media, food, distraction, exercise. I mean, it can be anything to try to like hush those shoulds because they're uncomfortable. Because it's, it's something that we're trying to kind of that inner wrestling between I should be, let's use healthy for as an example. I should be healthy mm-hmm. or healthier. But it's like, well, first of all, what does healthy even mean for right. you? And whose story is that? Who, where did that come from? Who told you that you should be healthier than you currently are? And what does that even look like? And once you start to break those down, it's like, oh, even know who where this even and you start to kind of sift through these stories these shoulds and uncover what's true for you yeah and that and being aware of that and having that practice every time they come up for you just catching it in the moment and being like wait a minute who whose story is that that's not is that mine I that's not mine yes what is mine and sometimes we tell ourselves, I, I find this where I'm like, well, that person does that. So I should do that also, especially as a parent. I find this to be like a really tricky space and especially with social media. And it'll be like, I, I should really feed my kids more food that I make from scratch would be like an example of one that mm. I and people I work with often use. And sometimes I think they'll come to me and they'll feel guilty like, oh, well, I give my kids goldfish or we have dino chicken nuggets or like any of those things. And if you're looking to me to tell you that those things are bad or not what you should have, then you're in the wrong place. Because for me, is it like, if you're feeling bad about it, I think there is so much to like doing the work of uncovering why you feel bad. And then where there is merit, 
where this feels like an important thing to tackle, spending the time and energy to put the systems in place to address it. But so often, I think as you dig a little bit deeper, you find out like, I actually don't care that my kids have goldfish a few times a week where they are having it seven times a week, maybe then that concerns me and there's some work to do there, right? In like making better snack choices. But it also looks different for everyone. Mm-hmm. And I think we don't give ourselves enough credit for that, especially with the preponderance of social media that's like, here, here is how you live a fit, healthy life. And like you said, what does healthy even mean? And what, yeah. do, what do those people's brains look like, right? Like what does yeah. their life look like that isn't what they are presenting from the outside? Exactly. Yeah. That's, it's so easy to compare the comparison. I mean, it's the bummer about comparison is that it always puts somebody down and more often than not, it's putting you down. Yeah. Especially when it comes to parenting. Oh, heavens. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and there's always somebody there. I'm curious of your take on this. There's always someone there, especially when it comes to like parenting. And I think about issues like car seat installation, um, you know, which has like very real merit. I do believe that people are coming from a good place in most cases, but like you see these things about like car seat installation or the foods you should or shouldn't give your kids or um, the way that you should feed your family or like whether you should be a working mom or a stay-at-home mom. Like there are, Mm -hmm. the list is very long when it comes to parenting of things people have opinions about. So what does it look like to do this awareness work and how does that change how you start to internalize some of like other people's opinions about the things that you're doing? I'm curious like how that work pays off. Yeah, totally. So once you start uncovering the shoulds, you can decide what's true for you and what's true for your family. So maybe you come to the realization of like, you know, I don't have to feed my kids home grown farm to table (laughs) from scratch on bamboo plates, like meals every day, like giving your, like, it's okay if my kids have like drive through every now and then, Mm -hmm. but that's like counterintuitive to your should, right? So you have to do the work of uncovering that. So it can look like finding freedom of like, I could cook my kids these elaborate meals that they're probably not going to eat. Let's be real about it. (laughs) But I could do that but I choose my mental health. I choose time. I choose to let my kids be spoiled because they love it. My kid asks for Burgerville every single day. You know, I've never been to Burgerville. I've driven by it, but I've never been. Not because I'm too good for Burgerville. I just like, I don't, you know, it's a Portland thing and I only visit there. So it's like, I've never been compelled to go, but I'll try it next time I'm there. They legitimately have a lot of amazing ingredients in their food. I mean, some stuff is like, nah. sure. but if you're talking about fast food, that's like one of the better places to go. Nice. As far as organic ingredients, they work with farmers. They're that's all about cool. sustainability. That is very Portland. <laughs> <laughs> totally. It would be very Seattle too. But I love, mm-hmm. I love what you're saying, which is like um, that there can be myriad reasons that we do things. And this is something that keeps coming up for me both in my life and it keeps coming up on the podcast. And I'm going to keep saying it because I think I and lots of other folks need to hear it, which is you can do anything, but you can't do everything. And I think when it comes to parenting choices or health choices or just like life choices, we often ignore the fact that choosing to do one thing inherently has impact on the other things we can or can't do. And 
this idea of like uncovering our motivations can sometimes like provide a picture into the other impacts that things will have. And I'll give Mm -hmm. an example of that is just that like my husband was out of town. He just got home last night from a 12 day business trip. So I was solo with the kids for 12 days. In that time I flew solo with them twice, like once somewhere and once back. So I wasn't all by myself. I went to see my mom. Like there was solo travel, all of these things. And I was deciding like, do I want to make home cooked meals or do I want to cart my kids out to dinner? And I had like, this is weird reverse guilt. Cause I was like, I should take my kids out to dinner. This is like the perfect excuse to not have to cook. And then I thought if I take them out to dinner, then I have to wrangle two kids by myself in a restaurant. I have to like put on my brave pants for something. I don't even want to do that badly. Or I could just feed them this leftover rice and a scrambled egg and some like chopped up vegetables for dinner and call that good and keep it easy on all of us. And I think like by taking a pause and being like, do I really want to take them out or does it just sound easier or like what the, what people do when they're solo with their kids, but it's not going to result in anything easier or better or make me happier. I was actually able to make a better decision for my family that I know that sounds like a silly one because it has a good result also. But I think the choices we make every day are so nuanced. And without taking that pause, with just like mm-hmm. running headfirst into every situation encumbered by these shoulds, like you were saying, we end up not making any conscientious choices. We're just like guided by autopilot. Exactly. And you've nailed it yet again, that when you make choices like you did, you made a choice that was beneficial for you and your family. You felt good about that. That filled up your little confidence bank that you have. And that's the beauty of the shoulds is that as you take your power back from that story or that belief and you make choices, even if they don't result in the best decision like or the best outcome, but you're making choices. And as you make choices and they grow and grow and grow, that builds up inside of you and it helps to build and bolster that feeling of self-assurance of that, you know, even if this, you know, if you had gone to a restaurant and it was a complete meltdown and it was terrible, it's like, at least you made that decision for yourself, right? Like you could have sat there and been like, well, I should do this or I should do that. But it's like, no, I made this decision and here's what I did. And you had a great experience with it, which is what a lot of the times you're going to have a great experience with it. We like um, automatically think if we are left to our own devices and our own choices that we're going to do ourselves harm. And you see this a lot in intuitive eating circles too. I'm not sure if you or your listeners are kind of familiar with intuitive eating. We haven't talked about it too much on the show, but I'm pretty familiar with it. And we talked a little bit about it in, I did an episode with on mindfulness with Allie Katz at the beginning of the new year. That's at a very full plate.com slash 40 if folks want to check it out. Um, but I think that like so much of this mindfulness plays into intuitive eating. So I would love to hear your take on it and how it um, aligns with confidence and confident choice making. Yeah. So the premise behind intuitive eating is that you, this is going to be difficult and technical, but you eat intuitively. <laughs> that, <laughs> that's as complicated it. as it gets. It's not nuanced. It literally is just like, you trust your body, you trust yourself, and you eat accordingly. Mm-hmm. And it's all about stripping down food labels, taking away the stories of the shoulds with food, and literally just like what your body wants is what you eat. 
And automatically we're like, nope, nope, I can't do that. I have to have rules. I have to have labels. I have to have guidelines because I don't trust myself. I am not confident in my ability to make choices for myself. And that is like the basis of what we do. Like we automatically self-sabotage ourselves. And so to take a risk, to actually make a choice for yourself, it has a higher rate of success than staying stuck in this place of, well, I should, and being caught in the shoulds. Yes. I love that so much. And I'm just trying to think of where to go with it because there are so many directions. But I hear this often from folks that I work with, which is like, well, what if I don't know what's healthy for my family? And I can really empathize with that because there is so much information out there. And it's like one day coconut oil is good for you. And one day it's the worst thing you could possibly eat and all of these things. And I really feel for the fact that it is challenging to navigate the information overload that we have in this day and age, especially when it comes to food, especially when you have good intention of um, feeding yourself well. But I really believe at the heart of it, and this is not great for my business, but I'm going to say it anyways, that no one has the answer for you, right? And so, so much of the work that I feel called to do is to help people um, put into place their vision of what like nourishing healthy food for their family looks like, not to Mm -hmm. impose my vision. Like for my family, it's whole, real, unprocessed food most of the time. And by the way, last night I had a glass of wine and two chocolate sea salt caramels. And I didn't feel bad about it for exactly the reason you're talking about. It's what I wanted. It felt like a really good treat. I knew that I could stop at two. Like once I had had two, I wasn't going to go back for 10. And I think some of that also plays into the restriction thing is if I told myself, Amy, you can't have more than one. Amy, you can't have any. Then I probably would have eaten 10, Mm -hmm. right? Because then you're like in this cycle of telling yourself a story and then you're combating that story. Yeah. And so I, I love the idea of like when you feel confident, you're like, I'm doing what my body needs to do and what feels right right now. It shows up in a much different way, even in the quantity of something you eat because it's not forbidden, right? I just was having what I wanted and then I was done having what I wanted. I had it. Yeah. Yeah. The freedom that comes from being able to moderate your own intake is incredible. It's incredible when you're just yeah. like, you know what? Chocolate sounds really good. And instead of like trying to talk yourself out of it or just like trying to, you know, eat something like a banana instead, (laughs) trying to like replace it with something healthier. I'm like, well, I'll eat a banana even though I really want chocolate. You end up eating the chocolate anyways and the banana. So you end up worse than when you started and then you feel guilty. But it's like when you get to that place of taking the shoulds and the labels and all the restrictions out and you're like, chocolate sounds delightful. I, you know what? I can have as much chocolate as I want to. And I'm going to sit down and I'm going to have as much as I want to. And you're paying attention and you're savoring and you're enjoying. And then when it doesn't meet that need anymore, because that usually happens right around like bite three or four for most people, the, the, your brain's already got that message of like, I'm good. I got the hit I needed. I don't need any more. And it's because of the restriction that we keep going mm-hmm. instead of being confident in our ability to choose and just saying, you know what? That, this bite didn't taste as good as the first. I think I'm good. I, that was great. And then you move on and you don't yeah. beat yourself up. You don't have to do guilt work. You just live your life. <laughs> Imagine that, right? I was recently <gasps> in a seminar on feeding kids 
and feeding picky kids specifically. And they were talking mm-hmm. a lot about, um, they were fo- the, this doctor who was leading it, her focus was on children who are obese and how parents can work with their kids to like feed them healthier food basically. And they, we did this great exercise that some folks may have done before where you basically like take a straw and you try not to breathe through your nose, nose, you just breathe through your mouth, through the straw. And of course, like a straw is quite thin and you're supposed to like breathe in and out through the straw and it gets difficult to get enough air. And the idea is to notice that while you're doing that, you're like wanting more and more and you're sort of like focused just on wanting more and you're like trying to get more and all you want is more. And I thought that was such an apt analogy for what happens when with ourselves or even our kids, we make things like off limits or restricted or unhealthy or a treat. Suddenly it becomes this cycle of wanting more instead of just being the thing, enjoying it, being Mm -hmm. confident in our choice. And then kind of like you said, moving on. Yeah. Like I often think how much time I'm so bored of feeling guilty about things. Amen, sister. But it's just boring, you know? Yes. I'm over it. I'm done. What a boring, useless thing to spend my time on. So Mm -hmm. I'm so glad that you're bringing some of this up because I think that other folks in our audience will um, resonate with this as well. I once heard someone say, I think it was actually Dana Malstaff who runs a boss mom group. And she was saying, um, no one can make you feel bad about your choices. Most often we feel bad about choices. We weren't confident about in the first place. And then someone questions and we're like, oh gosh, I do feel really bad being a working mom. Or I, I am really unsure of that keto diet or like insert thing mm-hmm. that you might, um, be, have been feeling unsure about here. So you talked to us a little bit about like awareness. What other things could we do today to start feeling more confident in our choices or feeling less of that guilt? Yes. So I made myself a list because I can never... Okay. There's so many things. There's so many. So here's a few things that you can do today. And I would say starting with a list, make a list of the things that make you awesome and see what comes up for yourself a lot of times there's a hesitation and kind of almost like a stall of like, well, what do you mean what's awesome about me? I'm not. I, you know, and the critical stories and the shoulds kick in so quickly. And if you can kind of breathe into that and just lean in and let it be uncomfortable and really ask yourself, like, what makes me me? What makes me great? Like, what God-given traits do I have that make me awesome. Because there are so many for each of us. There's so many. And as you get uncomfortable with that, it it brings up a lot of stuff. And it's interesting what it brings up. It's like those foot detoxes, right? Where it's like your water changes colors and the color tells you what you're detoxing. I've never done it, but I've heard of it. (laughs) I haven't either. I'm scared. But it's so interesting what comes up for you. And again, you have to go through that process of being aware and asking yourself, is this mine? Whose is this? Where did it come from? And what do I want to be thinking about myself? Because that's going to impact how you interact with every other person in the world, how you think about yourself. Yeah. And from there, once you kind of wrestle with that and get really uncomfortable, but start to think about the things that make you awesome, you can start to speak that into being. And 
I call these affirmations adamant assertions. Okay. And these are statements that you write out that you want to see in your reality and you want to be true. They may not, you may not feel like they're true right now, but you speak it into being, right? Was it Descartes who said, I've heard it's pronounced two ways, Descartes and Descartes? I, I don't I've know. I've heard Descartes, but I, I'm not an expert, so I... Me too. <laughs> but the last couple of times I've heard it, people have said Descartes, and I'm like, I'm pretty sure it's Descartes, but that's okay. just me. <laughs> Anywho, I think, therefore, I am. And what you think about yourself will be your reality, and that will be your truth. And so by using Ottoman assertions, you can speak your truth into being, and you can start to change the way that you think. So adamant assertions are affirmations or declaration statements that sound something like, I am confident in who I have been created to be. Boom. Like, you may not believe that. You're like, mm, uh-uh, I don't think that's true for me. It is true. You would have to speak it into being. You have to buy in to it. You've got to believe that. And one of the most powerful ways is by saying it and saying it out loud. And having these statements, mine for 2019 is, I stole it from Gay Hendricks in the book, uh, The Big Leap. Okay. And he says, I expand to receive success, abundance, and love every day as I seek to inspire those around me to do the same. I love that. Like, that is my affirmation statement. And along with this one too. And you can make a whole host of different assertions and declarations about yourself. Like, I am a good mom. Let's start there. Like, yes. I am a good mom. You know what? I would even go so far as to say that you and me, were great moms. We're do incredible you know, moms. Do you know that I write that in my... So I do five-minute journal in the morning, which is... Um, you guys can look it up. I'll provide a link, a veryfullplate.com slash, I think we're at 44 today, if I'm doing my math correctly. And um, I'll provide a link to it, but it's an awesome like five minute journal. You say what you're grateful for, three things you're grateful for, three things that would make today great. And then you do a couple of affirmations and mine are, I am a great mom. And then my other one that I always write is I am living in and making the most of the present moment because I have a habit of looking backwards and looking forwards a whole lot, but not being right here. And so it is my way of saying like, yeah, I can fully recognize that I am probably not doing all of those things, right? Like I am not fully in the present moment and I'm not making the most of it, most of all, but only by saying it, am I going to practice doing it more, right? It's not going to happen on accident. So I love this practice. And I really like that Gay Hendricks one that you shared. That's a very cool affirmation. Do you, here's a question I have. Do you stand in front of the mirror and say them? Do you have a time of day you say them? Like what's a best practice for these adamant assertions? Ooh, good question. I would say anytime I like to write them out and stick them places where I most frequently am. So on my computer, there's actually one like right next to my little keyboard here. There's one on my mirror in my car. There's one on my bathroom mirror. There's, I'm not going to tell you how many on my desk. (laughs) where I work. There's some on my refrigerator, truths about who I am. And that's an important place for me. Um, I love doing them in the car because that seems to be a good spot when I need the most reminding. Um, I don't listen to music in the car very often. I I more often am practicing my affirmations. And, you know, if you can carve out space for meditation time, I think that is probably the most effective when you compare it with breathing. 
Mm. Because these feelings, they're energy. And so when you're dealing with energy work, you know, you want to make sure that you're actually breathing. And there's a lot of power that comes from the breath. And so incorporating that into your meditation time or quiet time or prayer time, what have you, that can be really, really beneficial too. Yeah. A couple of resources that are coming up for me that I'll also link to in the show notes. Um, A lot of this ties into um, The Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod. So he has a lot of this in his book. If you're like, I love what Kim is sharing and I don't know how to make it happen in my life because I'm a busy parent. He has a really cool book and a system for like what your morning can look like. And there is silence and affirmations and those kinds of things. So um, if you're feeling called to do some of this and make the space, that might be a really good resource. Um, Also, I'm obsessed with meditation right now. Like I'm just so into um, the far reaching implications that learning to pause can have on our life. Like everything from eating to parenting to being a good partner to just like showing up as your best self in the world. Do you have a favorite way to practice a meditation practice or is there a tool you use or you just breathe? Ooh, that's a really good question. So I'm really new to meditation. Uh, I had a really conservative Christian upbringing and it's only been in the last like year or two that I've started to really expand my spiritual practice. And so meditation is something that I am not as well-versed in, but I'm getting there. And I have really been trying to do some different things. So for me, it's usually at night, um, once everybody's kind of quieted down or gone to bed, um, I like to have something that I can touch. So I have a worry stone okay. that I love. And so I just, for grounding, I touch that and I work on my breathing, getting quiet. And then I kind of go through my mantra probably mm, like five or six times incorporating yeah. it with breath. And it is really incredible. But, you know, it doesn't even have to be like that, you know? You can also just, again, have more awareness and mindset, mindfulness, not mindset, mindfulness about what you are wanting to do. And I love having sticky notes, again, as reminders. So every time I see them, I can just like, ooh, like that's a little reminder to breathe and say my statement. Yeah, I love that. I think mindfulness and meditation are so much like exercise in that you have to find the style and the thing that feels right for you and that you're Mm -hmm. willing to stick with. And it also just doesn't have to be that complicated. It it can just be pausing and breathing and Mm -hmm. taking a minute. And I I really do think that it has like so many implications for how we show up in the world. So we talked about, um, we talked about making a list of things that make you awesome and then Mm -hmm. some adamant assertions, anything else that we need to know about like showing up more confident starting today? So super quick. Journaling is always amazing. Like you said, the miracle morning, I've heard so much about that and just like jotting down a few things real quick. It doesn't have to be like, dear diary, I love that. You know, it doesn't have to be like that. It can be like for us listers and bullet pointers, it can be as simple as that. So journaling, getting things out of your body is huge. So much so that, again, feelings are energy. And when you store it in your body, that causes so much self-doubt because you have so much conflicting stuff going on. And so by journaling or talking to somebody about it, you can actually start to get that energy moving out of your body and get new energies in. Yeah. I, I don't know if you're familiar with Brene Brown's work, but the biggest thing that stands out to me about her, yeah, I figured. She's, for, for everyone listening, of course, Kim is like, yes, I love Brene Brown. 
Like, the biggest thing, and I'll not do her justice because she's amazing, but one of the things I love about what she says is basically like shame can only um, sort of flourish in a place where we don't talk about the things that we are feeling yep. shame about. And so this idea of journaling or talking to someone is so powerful for just like, <sighs> isn't it interesting how much less we feel bad about things when we put them in the light? Like mm-hmm. when we shine light on them and it's like, oh wait, I was, I spent years sometimes feeling bad about these things. And as I say, I'm saying them out loud, even now I'm like, oh, that was a waste of time, <laughs> you know, like yes. not to diminish them, but it's just human nature. Right. And by not naming them, you're mm-hmm. letting them take up more energy and more space in your life. And when you name them, then it's like, oh yeah, well, oh, so it's not that the deal, or even to find out that something that you felt so incredibly shameful about is actually really normal. And most people do it. And you're like, what? Isn't that the thing about weight gain? Like just to tie it into this whole food thing. I think like people tell themselves these stories and these hold this shame around like I've gained weight or I haven't lost weight or I'm not doing the things that I need to do. Mm -hmm. And it's like, all you need to do is look around to know that this is a really hard thing to tackle as a human in the modern world. And you are not alone. And it is not a failing on your part. And it's not anything to be shameful about. And until you let go of that, you can't actually move forward and do any of the work to get you to the place that you want to be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's so many <laughs> there's so many episodes in the podcast that I just have this moment of like, it's not your fault. It's hard. Trust me, I am a professional at helping people change their bodies. Like I'm a pro at this. I have experience and training and I'm good at it. And it's hard. Yes. Like it just is. And if it was easy, you would be out of a job. I would be out of a job. My husband would be, who is a therapist, would be out of a job. Like, people would be out of jobs. Like, our country would cease to exist because the health and fitness industry would be good, like, kaput, right? (laughs) Like, it's so hard. And we beat ourselves up so much. And so much of our identity is wrapped up. And our confidence is wrapped up in how our body looks and how we feel about our body. And this is something that I tackle with my clients 90% of the time. Yeah. Yeah. You're bringing up for me that there's also something to be said for like, we spend so much time feeling confident about how we look. And I think it, I often think about if I feel confident in the choices I've made or the work that I'm doing, like I know I'm showing up for workouts. I know I'm like doing the things that make me feel good. And actually I was on Kim's podcast and I'll link to the episode because we talked about like how to find the foods that make you feel good. Like if I know I'm eating in a way that makes me feel good, if I'm showing up in a way that like feels right for my body, then my confidence actually is less tied to the way that I look, even when you know, I might be up a pant size, which I currently am. But I'm like, you know what? I'm doing the work and I'm confident in that piece of things. And I think that that can be a really powerful piece too. But so often when we don't feel confident in the way that we look, everything else falls off. And then it's like, again, just this kind of spiral. Yeah. Or even going, yeah, yeah. Even going back to what you were saying a minute ago about like, I'm doing the work, I'm showing up. I would argue and say that you're making choices. Like Mm -hmm. you're choosing and those choices result in feelings that make you feel good. So it all comes back to the choices, right? And being aware of what you need, what you want and what it takes to get there. And 
acting on that and choosing that and not self-sabotaging and getting in your own way, which we all do, right? <laughs> yes. We all do that. Yes. I think that's such an important point and actually the perfect place to end this discussion today because I know there's so much more we can talk about. But for the sake of brevity, and I know everyone's time is really valuable, I just think like this idea of making choices and making conscientious choices is such a powerful one. And I would say if nothing else, I'm going to walk away today and just try and spend my day making more conscientious choices with the things that I do. So I so appreciate you sharing that perspective. Of course. So Kim, there's a lot here to unpack that we didn't even start to get to. And I know you have so much goodness to share. So where can folks find you to learn more? Oh, you're the best. So I hang out on Instagram a lot. So that's at Kim.Ludeman, L-U-D-E-M-A-N over on Instagram. You can also come and hang out with us in the Captivatingly Confident community. And that's on Facebook. So if you're just typing captivatingly confident, it'll pull it right up for you. Come on in. It's ladies only. And it's a great place to receive support, encouragement, and just be in a place where women are just working hard to be better, to be the best, their best selves, to be seen and loved for who they really are, which is incredible. Uh, my website is captivatinglyconfident.com. I have a couple of freebies on my website including the process that I walk my clients through. Uh, you can cool. download that guide. Cool. I'll, and I will link to all this, averyfullplate.com slash, I was wrong, 43. So averyfullplate.com slash 43 is where you're going to find these show notes. Perfect. Um, let's see. So we did... Did you mention your podcast? Oh, I didn't. So I have a podcast, which Miss Amy was a guest on. It was so much fun. And that is on iTunes and Stitcher, and it's the Captivatingly Confident Podcast. So that gets updated twice a week. I'm in awe of you doing it twice a week. (laughs) Once a week is as much as I can handle. Um, But conversations like these are a real highlight for me of having this podcast. So I want to thank you for coming on today and talking to our busy parents about how they can take some small steps to showing up more confidently in their bodies, in their choices, in their parenting. I I just think, I know, I know that there's going to be so much power behind this and that you have so much to offer folks. So thank you, Kim, Mm -hmm. for taking the time to be here today. I do really, really appreciate you and appreciate your friendship and your partnership from a business perspective. It is really cool to work with folks like you who are doing impactful work and helping us get out of our heads and get in to action. Um, so I will say that next week I have a conversation coming out with Samantha Siffring and we're talking about exactly this thing, which is you've made a goal and then you fell off that goal, just like everyone, and you're wanting to recapture it. And we talk a lot about um, finding your why and making sure you're in alignment with it and then planning really small actions. So if you are inspired by this conversation with Kim today to get your head on straight and then want to take like actions in the direction of fulfilling the things that are most important to you, I think that episode with Samantha coming out next Tuesday, um, so a week from when this one comes out, is going to be a really good follow-up. So Kim, thank you for being here. Listeners, thank you for listening. I appreciate you guys so much. And I look forward to talking to you next week. Take care. Thank you for 